Hey, Bridgeway. This feels like family. You feel like family to me. Some of you are like, I don't know who you are. That's like family. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> That's like family. You get to Thanksgiving and you're like, are they? Don't ask. Just hug them. Just hug them. For me, uh, this is like family. Um, I stand before you today truly having seen so many of the dreams that my husband and I had 10 years ago coming true, but a huge impetus was Pastor Peter, and I remember standing right there eight years ago, and he gave me a word, and he said that God was going to bring freedom in one hand and fire in another. And I stand here today as a declaration of the prophetic word um, and what our ministry is doing. Um, And so I'm really excited to give you a word today because what's so funny is that every time God gets me out of the boat and walking on water about a new word, he brings me here to deliver it first. (laughs) Sorry, not sorry. Sorry, not sorry. Um, But what's also really cool is that we just have a couple of things that we wanted to share with you as our Bridgeway family because when Pastor Peter gave me this word eight years ago, some of the things that I get to share with you today have been part of that journey and so it's just fun to share with your family. So can we do that for just a second? Um, So first things first, he's gonna hate me for doing this. Um, But at the last couple of days, um, we did our Dare to Dream. It was our second annual Dare to Dream conference. Who did come? Anyone? Who came when we did it here? Was there anyone else? Okay, awesome. So this year was my husband's first year actually seeing it live in person. And he got so sick, he was in bed for the two days that we did the entire conference. And so he was getting in the car this morning to take the kiddos home. So he drove here to basically get sick. He drove five children here to get sick while I did Dare to Dream Conference, but they turned back around this morning. And so my husband is joining me front and center. Everyone, can you say hi to my husband, Travis? Which is so cool. So for those of you who don't know me, my name is Julia Gentry. Um, I am a author of the best-selling book, Dream I Dare You. Um, I am a podcaster. I'm a speaker in both the marketplace and in the church Um, And I am a mom of five. We are parents of five children under the age of nine. I know. I feel like I have all the things. You're like, oh my gosh, there's a lot. It's the best, biggest blessing that he's ever given us together. Um, But there's my dream team. Do you have a picture? Can we put our picture up of my dream team? There they are. And they're here. So if you see them running around, that's my dream team. And again, I'm just honored. Travis, thank you for getting in the car and not driving home, but driving here. You are my dream come true. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, So part of what's been so cool since the launch of really us building this ministry, my ministry really at the Dream Factory and Co., we have one mission and that is to see the body of Christ bring heaven to earth by dreaming again. We equip the body of Christ by dreaming again with God. And so one of the things that we've gotten to launch at Dare to Dream Conference that is so incredible has been our newest journal. It's called the Dream Journal. Where's my journals in the house? Who loves to get with God and quietly tuck away? What's your name? Yeah, you. What's your name? Come here. So one of the things that's so special to me, especially to those of us who, where's my dreamers in the house? How many of you are super connected with the dreams that God's given you? Where's my visionaries? Maybe we call it another word like visionaries. How many of you don't understand the question? <laughs> You're my people. You're why I'm here today. Um, I wrote my book in my journal, the quiet place of my journal. Every dream that I've ever had started on the pages of my journal. And so we have this awesome opportunity to invite you guys into an awesome awesome starting point of if you are not dreaming with God or you've lost vision or you're getting discouraged in the in-between, we've brought our newest journals that launched at conference. They're on sale at the back, but I want to gift this to you. And I don't know where you're at in the dreaming process, but God wants you to know that whatever you're going to write in this journal, he takes very seriously. And because he's given you so many dreams, you're starting to water them down. 
and you're starting to undermine them and you're starting to undermine your ability and he wants you to know that he actually finds them very valuable. And so as you write, you're going to see that they will actually take flight, but you have to have the courage to keep writing and to keep dreaming. Okay, amen. Be blessed, yeah. The other really exciting thing that we get to launch, that we launch as a part of our community this weekend that I just wanted to share with you guys is um, our newest ministry, which is called Dream Together. And Dream Together is actually going to support an initiative to not only help adults dream, but to help the next generation of kids dream. It's called Dream Kids. I'm gonna play this video and I'm gonna tell you a little bit more about what this initiative is. Almost, he's gonna play the video. Go Doug, go Doug, go Doug, go. In a world where you can be anything, be adventurous, bold, creative, be a dreamer, be excellent, be free and full of faith, be generous, honest, inquisitive, be joyful, be kind. In a world where you can be anything, be the light, be mindful, be like the North Star that points people to Jesus. Be open, patient, never questioning who you are or whose you are. Always be relentless, steadfast, trusting, uninhibited. In a world where you can be anything, be victorious, a warrior, an example of the king. Be you and be full of zest and zeal. In a world where you can be anything, be who you were created to be. Because you, O oh child, were made in the image of God and you bear witness to the glory of God. For though we live in this world, you are not of this world. You are perfectly and wonderfully made. You reflect the glory of God. Before the beginning of time, you were destined, set apart, chosen. So before the world tells you differently, may you know very deeply, profoundly and intimately. May you know who you are because of whose you are. May you be a dream kid. Oh my gosh, I'm biased, but they're the cutest ever. So we have the awesome opportunity of launching an initiative, which if you follow our ministry at all, we are, we are helping your generation rewire the way that they think by giving them the tools to understand how heaven thinks. And yet what you start to do as you unpack that journey is you realize that so much of your thought processes are built in your early formative years. And I have people come up to me all the time and go, I wish I had known this in my 20s. I wish I had known this as a kid. So in this next year, what this does by you giving is that it actually will help us build out a curriculum that will give it to the kids at a young age so they know who they are because of whose they are before the world can tell them any differently. So today we get to launch with you our campaign to not only 
put the dreams of God back in our children's hearts, but ultimately we wanna see this go back into the schools and we wanna see dreams put back in school, which you and I know that it's not just the dreams, it's gonna be the dream giver back in school. So um, by partnering with us, we had an incredible donor this weekend who said for dollar for dollar, I will match up to $5,000. And so this is an opportunity for you to join us in this initiative. If you have more questions, please come talk to me at the end of this. But again, this is a part of your faithfulness and you speaking that prophetic word and this starting to come to life, not only for our generation, but for the next generation. So there's that bridge, right? How cool is that? God is so good. Okay, let's dive in. You ready to dive in? You're like, what does that mean? You're like, nudge your neighbor, say, you've never heard Julia Gentry. (laughs) Say, buckle up, buttercup. (laughs) Buckle up, buttercup. Turn to your neighbor. Turn to your other neighbor and say, I promise I won't leave. (laughs) Ah, because you're a good Christian, you keep your promises. (laughs) Ah, the, The sermon that God gave me today, the word that God gave me today is called dependency. It's called dependency. Who or what is your source? Now I admit this is a really, this is gonna be deep waters today. And those of you who have ever heard me preach know I like to swim in the deep waters. I joke, but people run from me at the playground. They run from me at the playground because I don't wanna talk about the weather. I wanna talk about deep waters. I wanna talk about your heart. I wanna talk about revelation. I don't care how hot or cold it is outside. I wanna talk about how hot or cold it is inside. So today is deep waters, but how many of you know that you can't ever learn to swim if you don't get in the deep waters? You can't ever learn to fly if you don't get out of the nest, and you can never learn to walk on water if you don't get out of the boat. So today I'm going to invite you to get out of the boat. I'm going to learn you to jump out of, I'm going to invite you to jump out of the nest. I'm going to invite you to jump into the deep waters. But just so you know my target, so as we start to get into deep waters, I want you to know where my target is. My target is Ephesians 3, verse 16. It says, and I pray that he would unveil within you the unlimited riches of his glory, of his glory and favor until supernatural strength floods your innermost being with his divine might and explosive power. Then by constantly using your faith, getting in the deep water, getting out of the nest, You're like, what do these mean? Oh, they'll mean, you know exactly what they mean. By constantly using your faith, the life of Christ will be released deep inside of you and the resting place of his love will become the very source and root of your life. I want you to underline that word source. And the resting place of his love will become the very source and root of your life. Source, by definition, it means a point of origin. I found that to be fascinating. It's the point of origin. It's the beginning. It's the birthplace. It means wellspring. So already this word, if you, if you now think about what the scripture is saying, and then you see that it's calling God as our source, what it's inviting us into is a place of origin. Origin, you could also say Original birthplace, starting point, center point. But then it also says it's wellspring. What does wellspring mean? Wellspring by definition means original and bountiful source of something. 
So it says, if we go back to Ephesians, it says, and the resting place of his love will become the very origin of your life. Beginning, birthplace, wellspring, the bountiful source of everything you need. Do you know that if you look up that word everything, do you know what it says? Okay. Turn to your neighbor says, everything means everything. Everything means everything. Not some of the things, not only a few things, not specific things, not just for you or just for you or just for her, but all things, everything. For who? Everyone. That calls them, that calls him their Lord. So today my question for you is gonna be who or what is your source? And we're gonna dive in today in John 4. The woman at the well. A lot of us have heard this story, yeah? yeah? We all know this story really well. This woman is just going about her day and she's just going to the well. Why is she going to the well? To get water. Why is she going to get water? Because she's thirsty. So when you're thirsty, what do you do? You get a drink. Pretty self-explanatory. Here's what it says. I'm going to start at the very beginning. John 4, verse 1. The news quickly reached the Jewish, Jewish religious leaders known as the Pharisees that Jesus was drawing greater crowds of followers coming to be baptized by John. Jesus heard what was being said and abruptly left Judea and returned to the province of Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. Here's what's interesting. When you look at the footnotes of this journey, it says, since the Jews despised the Samaritans, they, awful tra they often traveled east of the Jordan River to avoid Samaria. Here's what's so fascinating about the patterns of Jesus. He doesn't go our way. <laughs> you know, they're like, I'm gonna avoid that. Jesus is like, I'm gonna go straight through it. <laughs> That's already a pattern that we have to recognize is that oftentimes the thing that we're wanting most is only found in the thing that we're avoiding. Oh, uh-oh, I told you deep waters. The thing that I'm wanting most is the thing that I'm avoiding. I'm gonna go around that. I'm gonna go around that conversation. I'm gonna go around that. And Jesus models right out of the gate, he's gonna go right through it. He's gonna go right through it. It says the Jews wanted nothing to do with the Samaritans because they had mixed Jewish and Gentile blood and they were centered their worship at, at the mountain of Gerizim. Gerizim? There it is, say it louder. Gerizim, that actually, never mind, from a vocabulary perspective, that is not, that does not look right. Instead of Jerusalem, the Lord Jesus needed to pass through the, Sam the Samarian because they were needy souls and needed a savior. This is so, we're gonna build on this. Jesus not only models, I'm gonna go straight through it, even though y'all are gonna avoid it. I'm going there because there are needy souls who need a savior. We know this oftentimes as at a head level that Jesus came and died to prove right, that we needed him. The Old Testament was set in place. The Ten Commandments came to say, oh, by the way, you need a savior, right? If, if I don't have a law, right, the Ten Commandments came to say that there's a law, which means that now there's speed limits. If there's no speed limits, I actually don't know if I'm speeding, true or true. Right? So the law comes not to try to showcase that God is a mean God or he's setting up these standards that we can't withhold. It's highlighting that, oh man, I actually can't live up to that bar. 
So God, in his faithfulness, says, I'm gonna send Jesus to do for them what they can't do for themselves. So the law all of a sudden comes into place in the Old Testament to highlight the fact that we now have a need. But most of us are going, I don't, no, I don't need anything. How many of you, when you walk in a grocery store, they're like, can I help you? You're like, nope, I'm good, solid, that's a solid, I'm good. We don't like to highlight our need. Someone comes over to our house, they're like, hey, can I help you clean up? You're like, what do I, am I messy? Are you suggesting I have a problem? You're like, um, maybe, I just wanna, do you want me just to, you're like, no, I'm fine, I'm good, I'm fine. But in walks Jesus because he goes, hey, you have a need and I am here to now over, I'm here to do what you can't do on your own. Here's the hardest part about now being in a relationship with Jesus is that it highlights the fact that I actually have a need. So Jesus comes here and he says he comes because there was needy souls who needed a savior. So he arrives at the Samaritan village and near the field Jacob had given his son Joseph. Wearied by his long journey, he sat on the edge of Jacob's well and he sent his disciples into the village to buy food for it was already afternoon. And soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Why was Jesus there? To meet a need. Why was the Samaritan woman there? Because she had a need. Jesus is there because he can meet needs. She's coming because she has a need. She's thirsty. How many of you have a need? Half of you. How many of you like, I don't need anything? I have Jesus. Okay. <laughs> okay. Have a, so she's coming. She's coming to get her need met. Right? She's coming to the well. Right? Now, here's what happens is that when I now come to the well because I need water. How many of us will go, that makes sense. I'm hungry, so I'm gonna eat food, right? I, I need some comfort, so I'm gonna go to bed. I need to feel validated, so I'm gonna work hard. I need a comfort place or a hiding place, so I'm gonna grab a glass of wine. What happens is we all have a need. That's not what I'm here to ask us today. What I'm asking is what are you doing with your need? What are you asking to meet your need with? She's coming to the well because she has a very logical need. She's thirsty. But then what happens is, and you're gonna see this over the progression of time, is that slowly but suddenly, if we have a need and we're not careful, we start to ask the resources to be the source. This is the slippery slope. This is the fine line. This is where the enemy tries to get in there and say, oh, look, at these guys have a need. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna start highlighting all of the resources around them and slowly but surely, they're gonna start to think that the resource is the source. She's even coming to the well. She's about ready to talk to Jesus. She doesn't know who Jesus is and she still wants water more than Jesus. What does that mean? She thinks the resource is the source. Here's my first point. You will be dependent upon whatever you call your source. You will be dependent upon whatever you call your source. 
We don't mean to. We don't, this, doesn't start, this doesn't start in a misaligned way. Sometimes we're just getting needs met and we don't realize that that's a good thing until it's not. So then as she's sitting there with Jesus, she doesn't know this yet. Soon a Samaritan woman came to, to draw water and Jesus says to her, give me a drink. If you look at the footnotes of this, it says that when the sinner drinks of the Savior, and the Savior drinks of the sinner. Both are satisfied. Like if that doesn't give you goosebumps, I don't know what will. It literally says that neither ate or drank, but each satisfied the other. What does that mean? It means that Jesus actually, it fills his soul when you come to him with your need equally as much as your soul is fed when you ask him to meet the need. Both are satisfied in the moment. That's why he asks her for a drink. He's not asking her for a physical drink. He's asking her, I want your need, baby. She still doesn't know. She still doesn't know who she's talking to. <laughs> She says, so, so she replies, why would a Jewish man ask a Samaritan woman for a drink of water? She's like, why would you ask of me for water? She still doesn't know that she's talking to Jesus yet. Here's what's interesting, the closer that we get to God. Is that immediately... We, we find ourselves sitting with him and, he, and we go, why, why would you meet me where I'm at? And we downplay God to fit the narrative of who we are as opposed to raising who we are to fit who he says we are. That's point number two. Point number two is you can't downgrade who God is to fit the size of your need. You need to take your need to upgrade to the size of who he is. But she's doing this in this moment. Immediately, she's starting to have this conversation and she's like, who are you to ask me to do this thing? She's, she's like, it, she's already compartmentalizing, which I think is easy for us as humans to do because part of why we compartmentalize is we're trying to understand a world that we just can't understand. You know, even when the Bible says that God will exceed our expectations, why it says while well, he'll exceed our expectations is because expectations still fit in the biases of our own narratives and understanding. Our expectations are so funny. We go like, I don't really have any expectations. How many of you are like, I'm just going home from work. I don't really have expectations for the evening. And then you walk in and the house is crazy and nobody's cleaned up. And your husband's like, what's for dinner? You're like, what's for dinner? Is that only me? Am I the only one that's ever done? He's never asked me. He's, the house is always clean. He never asks me what's for dinner. We never know that we have an expectation until it's not met. Then it's not met and we have unmet expectations which erupt like Hulk natures and then we, we, we blame it on someone else. 
Well, God didn't show up at that crusade like I thought. My husband didn't make dinner like I thought. I was in a staff meeting and they didn't show up the way that I thought. Those are called expectations. That sometimes we know that we have and others that we don't know we have until they're not met. Those are called unmet expectations. So then here comes a Bible verse that says he wants to exceed your expectations. But then what happens is we put God in this box that it's supposed to look this way. And so when it doesn't happen this way, the enemy starts to go focus more on the unmet expectations instead of the exceedingly abundantly. And it's so funny, right when you got up to give that word about the goodness of God, I honestly heard a few of you go, that's not the God that I know. God doesn't feel good to me right now. This is, I don't understand the goodness of God because what I'm experiencing doesn't feel good. And I heard God say, tell them to keep going. And then you got up and said that word. If you're experiencing a God that is not exceedingly abundantly today, doesn't mean he's not. It just means that you're gonna have to keep going. These are those moments when we learn how to actually develop a healthy dependency with the Lord, which means I have to do my part. I got to get to the well. I have to at least even acknowledge that I have a need, but then I have to recognize that I got to give him room to do his part. So for some of you, my life is a testimony that there is too many times that I could have stopped and said, God, you're not meeting my expectations. You're not exceeding my wildest imaginations. I'm not living the dream. Whoever said that shouldn't say that. And I'm standing in front of you today that he didn't not fulfill my promise, but I had a role to play in continuing to walk towards the goodness of God. He's not done. If some of you are sitting there today in pain or in questioning his goodness, that would make you human in need of a savior to exceed your wildest expectations. And my only ask of you is get to the well. Get to the well. Don't stop. The enemy wants you to like stop five yards from gold. What's the well? Gold. Who's at the well? Not just water. Jesus. And here's what's so fascinating. She comes still to get water. We're going to talk. She starts to talk. I just want water. I just want water. He doesn't want to just give her water. He doesn't go, oh, you're thirsty. Here's a glass of water. He goes, I want to be your source. I don't want to just give you water. I want to be your source. Mind blow. He doesn't want to just give you what you want. He wants to give you what you want. Keep going. He doesn't want to just fulfill your want. He wants to be your source. That's exceedingly abundantly. He's not done. So she leans in. Why, why would you, a Jewish man, ask a Samaritan woman for a drink of water? Jesus replies, if you only knew who I am and the gift that God wants to give you, you'd ask me for a drink and I would give you living water. He says, if you knew who I am, you'd ask me for a drink, what you want, and I would give you living water, what you need. In that moment, that's like someone saying, 
God, I want a baby. God, I want my business to work. God, I just want the house. God, I want this temporary moment. Does God, believe me, he wants to meet everything, but, but he's going, no, no, I hear you, baby, but I want to give you living water. I don't want to just meet you where you're at with what you want. I hear what you want. I know what you want, but I want to give you living water. Then the woman replies, but sir, you don't even have a bucket. <laughs> I could never be God. Here's why. Because people is, people, peopling is so hard. Oh my gosh, I'd be the worst God ever. I'd like walk out on humanity. You're like, did you not just hear what I said? We have this thing in my house and actually my team members know this too. I hate to repeat myself. And then God gave me five children. Do you know how many times I repeat myself? I also realize that as a visionary, who's the visionaries in the house? We like grunt at the world because we're so clear of the vision in our head that we're like. If you're a visionary, you know, if you're not the visionary, married to the visionary, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because then not everybody does the entire vision in your head and they look at you like, was I not clear? And you're like, absolutely not. Like you used four words. And in my mind, I was like 12 years deep in the vision that I declared with my one like, and they're like, what does that mean? I don't really actually know where I was going with that. Oh, that's what it is. You don't even have a bucket. You don't even have a bucket, she says. He's like, I wanna be living water. And she's like, you don't have a bucket. <laughs> Jesus, like if I was Jesus, I'd like cut to the chase, like get to this end of the sentence as fast as I possibly could. He doesn't do that. Why? Because information will only take you so far. He doesn't want to just over, he doesn't want to like power you up with a bunch of words and scripture. You notice that Jesus never was like just shooting straight at scripture. He starts to take him on a dance. He starts to dance and he starts to teach in parables and in stories and he asks questions and he's why? Because he's that good to lead us in because he doesn't want to just give us information. He wants to transform us. The central message of Jesus' whole sermon, everything he said after he, when he started to preach, right? When he finally steps into this, Jesus starts preaching and the main sermon he says over and over and over again is what? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Do you know that that word repent means to rethink? Repentance isn't just an I'm sorry. That's what the world would say. Repent. Sure, do that. Yeah, I'm not saying don't do that. Repentance isn't just an I'm sorry statement. It's a lifestyle with Jesus. Repentance isn't just an I'm sorry, turn the other way and try not to do it again. Repentance is this, let me help you think the way that I think. Let me help you think from heaven's realities so that you live differently. It's a lifestyle. So he's not coming just to condemn us and to, oh, you need to repent and like be better. He's like, I'm drawing you in. I want you to think like me. I want you to see like me. I want you to be like me. I want a lifestyle with you. But here she is, just like we are oftentimes. Jesus is like, yeah, yeah, I know that you want, I know that you have this need, but I wanna give you more. And we're like, yeah, but God, it doesn't look like this. Yeah, but God, it didn't happen in 1992 on that Sunday when I was praying. He's like, 
I want to give you more than that. But here she is. And she's saying, but sir, you don't even have a bucket and the well is very deep. So where do you find this living water? Do you really think that you are greater than our ancestor Jacob? Who dug this well and drank from it along with the children and livestock? What is she doing? She's trying to intellectualize Jesus. Like she's pulling all the religious cards that all of us never do. None of us in this room. Other churches. Other churches do this. Not us at Bridgeway. We would never do that under Pastor Peter's leadership. (laughs) Whoops. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So she's like trying to intellectualize something that she can't. She's trying to intellectualize it. She's trying to, why? Because her mind is already starting to be blown. You can tell. Jesus is about ready to get all up in her space. And so what it's doing is he's blowing around. He's wanting her to start to rethink. So she's trying to immediately intellectualize it, which is where we start to get stuck with God. He starts to call us out of the boat. He starts to push us out of the nest. And immediately we start to intellectualize it because you don't understand my past and you don't understand what people have said and you don't understand my bank account. You don't understand what I did yesterday and you don't even know, know what I'm thinking in this moment. And she's doing that. And she's downplaying who God is to fit into any of the confines that she has. Again, this doesn't make any one of us crazy. It just makes us human in need of a savior. In need of a savior. We're intellectually responding. Then he pulls her in at verse 13 and Jesus says, but if you drink from Jacob's well, you're going to be thirsty again. But if anyone drinks the living water I give them, they will never be thirsty again. Remember why? Because he doesn't want to just meet her need. He wants to be her source. For when you drink the water I give you, it becomes a gushing fountain of the Holy Spirit flooding you with endless life. That even means, and you guys know, I believe in the dreams. I don't have time to go down that bunny trail about what it actually means to dream with God. and what, But it's never about the dream. It's always about our character. It's always about our heart. He wants us to have a dream that's bigger than this life to live for because he wants us pulling down heaven to earth. Heaven is supposed to be evading earth. That's why he would give us a dream. However, the dream is not about the dream because remember, it's already done from his perspective. So all he wants us to do is to continue to partner with the dream that he's given us. But remember, he's not after the dream. He's after you. He's after your heart. So he already is starting to say, again, I don't want to just give you water. I want to give you endless life. So some of us still have to remember, even our dreams, you go, yeah, but I have prayed and I have prayed and I have prayed and I'm not seeing my dreams come true. Or some of you have experienced loss and that was your dream come true. And so you're stuck in this transition. But what he's saying here is that I don't even want to do it here in your lifetime, 70, 80, 90 years old. I want to give you endless life. And because again, all we can see is this compartmentalization. And again, I've been there. I lost my best friend at 17 years old and I thought my world ended. And to this day, I have seen God transform lives because of Mallory's death. And I would still forego that to have experienced to get to live life with her. So I'm not downsizing our place of pain. But what Jesus is doing is he's expanding her way to think. He's saying, not even just here. I don't want to even just give you enough water to take you to the day you die. He says, I want to give you endless life. That big, that good. 
Then the woman replies, well, let me drink that water. <laughs> it's like a potion. So what do we say to Jesus? Great, where's the pill? We want that, good. That endless life, now, here, right in this minute, good. Instant gratification sounds good. Where can I get that? How much is it? She's like, great, I wanna do that. Let me drink the water so I'll never be thirsty again and I won't have to come back to draw any more water. Here's my next point. You will lose yourself in the place you are trying to find yourself. We will lose ourselves in the place that we're trying to find ourselves. Matthew 12 or Matthew 16:24 says, then Jesus says to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. But the problem with that and how the enemy just flips that is that we are supposed to lose ourselves in him to find ourselves in him. But what we're doing is we're starting to go to the resources in our life and we're losing ourselves in the place we're trying to find ourselves. Why? Because generally what happens in our life is that we have a place of need because of often many places of trauma, disappointment, and loss, insufficiencies, deficiencies in the world in general, even things that are natural, right? I need water, I need food, right? We're not even gonna go as far as saying, you, you know, I'm gonna have to let you do some of this with you where you're sitting today, but there is this slippery slope of when now I take my place of need and I cover it up because of a place of pain. We all do this. If we're rejected, I'm gonna cover that up. If we're hurt, I'm gonna cover that up. If a prayer didn't come to pass, I'm gonna cover that up. And what happens is we actually start to cover up our place of need because it's a place of pain and that would make us human to go, one, I don't wanna feel that place of pain anymore and two, I think I'm just gonna cover it up to protect it. That wouldn't, that wouldn't be realistic. That would be the logical part of us that goes, well, that makes sense to cover it up. So then what we do though is that doesn't make the need go away. How many of you know covering up a need doesn't heal the need? People tell me all the time, you know, after I lost my best friend, please don't ever say this to anybody who loses someone, but time will heal everything. Don't say that. Here's what I've also learned. Time doesn't heal everything. The healer heals everything. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Like, processing your healing heals everything. Can God heal in a minute? Yes, I've seen this weekend at Dare to Dream Conference, I saw hearts mended in a second. I literally saw, we, we called, I was like, I think I just saw an arm. And she goes, that was my heart. And I was like, oh my gosh. I saw hearts mended instantaneously. My journey has been a gradual healing with him. And I wouldn't change it for anything. So healing doesn't happen through time. Healing happens through healing up close and personal with the healer. But what happens is that I have this place of pain that I cover up and I try to hide. And so then what I do is I take it to some of the resources around me. I'm gonna get all up in your business for a second because I can't not. He's asked me to. For me, my place of pain caused me to hide. I hid in all the ways. I hid in perfection. I hid in being bad. I hid in success. And I hid behind a glass of wine. I shared this last time I was here when I walked you guys through the whole experience of walking out of the wilderness into the promised land. Those were all places that I hid. And none of them are bad. 
Perfection's not bad. How many of you, who, who's my perfectionisms in the room? Who many of you are like, no, no, I just like things done a certain way. <laughs> With a high level of expectation and excellence. And if it's not my way, it's wrong. It's not hard. It's like super simple. <laughs> excellence has two sides. It's called excellence and perfectionism. Perfectionism is built in fear. It's actually not built in excellence. It's built in fear because actually it needs to look right because then I'm not right. That's different than excellence. That's very different than excellence. Same thing for people-pleasing. No, I just love everybody. No, you're afraid of everybody. So you want to please everybody so they love you. That doesn't have to do with them. It has to do with you. So what happens is we start to kind of, we, we, we see some of these things and we go, okay, so then I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm a, but I'm a good businessman. I do, I make a lot of money. I do a lot of things. How many of you are my, all my things, people? You got checklists for checklists, Trello boards for Trello boards, strategic plans for strategic plans. You're managing all the things. We do not want you to do that. We do not want you to be excellent. We do not want you to build businesses. We do not want you to have a strategic plan. My director of operations would kill me if I told you never to have a Trello board. If you don't have a Trello board, you should go Trello board, Google Trello board. You should Google Trello board. It's good until it's not. This resource is good until it becomes my source. So the thing about money, no, there's nothing wrong with money. It's the love of money. It's not that I have money that's bad. It's my love of money. The Bible doesn't say never drink wine. It says what? Don't get drunk on wine. Wine isn't bad until it is. Money isn't bad until it is. A Trello board isn't bad until it is. <laughs> when does it go from being a resource to then being a source is when we've crossed the line. And now I'm asking it to give me something it was never designed to give me. Wondering why I'm and ended up hopeless, anxious, depleted, frustrated, mad, and addicted. Because I keep asking it to give me something that now it's not designed to give me. Why? Because we have baseline needs, which means we do have some safety, security, stability, love, and belonging needs. But did you know that those are deficiency needs? Deficiency means that once I get that need met, I don't need more of it to feel safer. So for those of you in the room who go, I don't know that I actually feel mentally, emotionally, or spiritually safe, you need a baseline. But now that most of you are in a beautiful church, you do have a home, you have food, you have, a, you have enough around you that makes you feel safe and secure, now any more of it, you scrambling to have more safety, security, stability won't give you any more. Why? Because you're already safe. So now it's a deficiency need, which means it actually doesn't matter how many people, how many churches, how many houses, and how much money we put in the bank, you wouldn't feel safer. Why? Because now you're turning to something that it was never designed to give you. So you're losing yourself in the place you're trying to find yourself. And all Jesus ever said is, I want you to lose yourself in me because there you will find you. Why? Because you found me. All of us have something today. And immediately when I said it, it popped up in your head. This is what alcohol did for a long time. I didn't drink a lot. I drank often. And anytime I was sitting where you're sitting and someone says, hey, God wants you to give him something. 
I'd hear the whine. I was like, ooh, that sucks for you. Sucks for you. I think I just intercepted. The Holy Spirit wants you to know you should stop drinking wine. (laughs) Anyone ever done that? That the Holy Spirit talks to you and you're like, I'm gonna go prophesy over somebody else. (laughs) Don't do that. That's like prophecy 101. Don't do that. That gets all weird. Back to the peopling is hard, right? When you're practicing prophecy, don't do that. That's rule number one. If he's speaking to you, he's speaking to you. But that's what we do. So I remember he's any time. Someone's like, I think God, he wants to take you to another level, but you're gonna have to let go of something. I was like, that's a great message for you. That's awesome. How do you know that the thing has become a source? Because you don't want to give it up. Because you don't want to give it up. Because you don't know who you are without it. Because you don't know who Jesus is without it. Because you go, oh, great, you're going to give me water. Great, where's the pill? I'll hold on to it. If you give me a pill, then we'll fix it. It'll be fine. I don't even want to deal with it. Well, can I just be done with it? Great. I just want to be done with it, but I don't have to process through it. So it's like, I'll break the addiction, but I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Some of you are giggling because you're like, shoot, that's exactly where I'm at. I just want to be done. Can we done? Great. On to the next thing and check the box and on moving. That's exactly what she's saying. And she's like, great. Can you give me, can you give me that? I'll have that water. Great. Let me drink that water so I'll never be thirsty again. And I won't have to come back here to draw water. Why? Because you're like, I don't want to talk about my daddy issues anymore. How many of you have done that? Uh, the only reason I can say that is because me too. How many of you find yourself going, I don't want to talk about these same issues. I've done this a million times. I've been in therapy for a million years. I've read every single book on this. I don't want to keep doing this. I just want to do this once. God, I'm going to give this you one more time. I don't ever want to do this again. (laughs) Am I alone in this? (laughs) Thank you. This is how good Jesus is though. So Jesus says, okay, Go get your husband and bring him back here. (laughs) They weren't even talking about her husband. (laughs) Oh man. Oh man. So she's like, she's like, good. I want that water. He's like, great. Go get your husband. She's like, say what? (laughs) She's She's like, say what? She goes, I'm not even married. Jesus says, that's true because you've been married five times. He says, that's true. You've been married five times. Is he trying to humiliate her? No. He wants her heart. I mean, remember, she's still kind of still stuck on the pill. Like, give me the pill. Good. I'm gonna drink that water. I'm never going back here again. Good. Jesus, we're gonna talk about this one more time. We're gonna talk about this again. I'm gonna talk about this again. And she says, "Okay, then go get your husband." Then, then she's like, mm. "Now I just went from head to heart. Do you feel that?" Here's the woman that's like, cool, you can meet my need, intellectual. Cool, I can take a pill, great. One, two, three step guide, good. I can Google that, yep. I can join a recovery group, yep. Are all of those things okay? Yeah. Until they're not. But I'm still intellectualizing. You can feel she's still in her head. So she's like, awesome, I'm gonna get that, I'm gonna get that drink, I'm gonna go. He's like, okay, cool. When you do that, they'll bring your husband back. And she's like, say what? 
And he starts to, now he's actually taking her to the thing under the thing. He says, for you've been married five times and now you're living with a man who is not your husband. You have told me the truth. Why does he do this? He does this to her and he will do this to you because he doesn't actually want you to understand him intellectually. He doesn't want you to know him as a one, two, three step guide. He wants you to know him as the guide, which is my next point. He invites her to get out of her head and he drops her into the depths of her heart and her soul. Why? Because that's where her need is. That's the peace that she had been covering up because of shame, blame, guilt, and condemnation. What we know about the Samaritan woman is she got around town in many ways. And so what he did in this moment is he, he brings her down into this state of going, I'm going to need not what you understand. I'm going to need your heart. And he invites her into going, I don't want you just to know what it looks like to have water. I want you to know me as water. I don't want you to know me as a one, two, three step guide, though those are good and we need them, and it's what makes our world go round. He wants to ensure that you know him as the guide. The guide who wants to meet you at your greatest place of need with no shame, no blame, no condemnation. When Jesus died for you and I, it gave us the ability to walk in righteousness. Do you know that righteousness is not right doing? It's right standing. That means I don't have to actually do all the right things to continue to hold the bar any longer. He's the bar and I get to stand under his bar. It's right standing with him. What does that mean? It now means that you go, well, can I just sin? No, you can't just go sin. It doesn't give us room to go sin. It draws us in to the love of the Father. And when you love someone, you want to do well by them. Why? Because you love them. So he invites, he's inviting her into this place of going, I want you to know me as the guide. And I want you to stand with me in my standing, underneath my bar, not in your own account. Some of you need to know today that in your place of need, it's going to feel like the world around you is breaking. It's supposed to, because in your place of weakness, he is. If you don't break, you can never heal. And so he wants you to come and understand that you have a need and it might need a need. God, I need comfort. He goes, well, how do I identify what the need is? Ask whatever addiction you're holding on to today of any kind. It could be work. It could be a Trello board. It could be alcohol. It could be food. What if you sat there and went, God, what am I asking it to give me that I'm not asking you to give me? Now it's not about the addiction. It's about the need. This is how you get set free. Think about the thing that you're turning to right now. 
and ask yourself, what am I asking it to give me that I simply haven't turned to Jesus and go, no, you give that to me. Is it your comfort? Is it hiding place? Is it a place that you just finally feel secure in who you are? For me, that's what alcohol was. It just made me feel secure in my skin for a minute. I didn't realize how insecure I was until I stopped drinking and then I was like, oh my gosh. And then the day that the Holy Spirit intervenes in my kitchen and he says, what if I could be your hiding place? It was no longer about alcohol. It was about learning to take my need of hiding and to put it in the right place, my hiding place. Now I stand before you today, two and a half days sober, feeling way more comfortable in my skin, not all the time, but I guarantee it's only because I recognize that he is the only place that will ever suffice to hide me well. So I can stand before you boldly, not because I feel secure, I don't. You guys, I'm, I'm not in the, I, God's asked me to be in the church a couple years ago. I still fight him every day. You got the wrong girl. How many of you say that? God, I don't, you got, you got the wrong person for that job. No, he's got the right person because if you get what we're talking about today and you keep coming to him with your need every single day and you learn him as your comfort, you learn him as your hiding place, you learn him as your security, you learn him as your hope, then you in your place of greatest strength will be the greatest place of impact. That's what, what did I say? Oh, did I say days? You're all like, oh my gosh, that we're really proud of you. You guys at Dare to Dream Conference, I got sober. That's amazing. You're like, she's really bold about this message being two days sober. Let's see where she's at in a year. <laughs> There's hope. Two days, you could go two days, baby. Oh man, maybe that was actually a prophetic word. I'm gonna lean in there just for a second. Do you know that the hardest day will be today, the day that you start? Someone in here today is your day of sobriety. Where are you? Of any level, is there anyone in here? Will you stand up? Will you come up here, sir? day is going to be the day that you start. The second hardest day is going to be the day that you want to quit. You started. And the Holy Spirit is going to come alongside you every day for the rest of your life. Even on the days that you want to quit. And I can tell with everything in you, you are a soldier, you are a warrior, and you don't quit. And that's not because you won't feel weak some days. And that's not because you won't be at the starting line and the front lines feeling like I cannot do this. That is not boldness. Boldness is the willingness to show up because you know whose you are because of whose you are. You are who he says you are. Who does he say you are? I'm blood bought. You are blood bought. Son of the living God. Son of the living God. Redeemed, Redeemed. And, a new creation. and a new creation. Every day for the rest of your life. Every day for the rest of your life. You will be a warrior and you will take the front lines 
and you will remember who you are because of whose you are. And you will walk in right standing with him. And on the days of weakness, you are gonna move your soul closer to him. You have an army behind you, sir. This is your church. This is your church and we are gonna ask you not to do it alone. So you get to move your soul closer to the Lord every single day for the rest of your life. And then you're gonna have a church body who's gonna support you every other day thereafter. Everybody, would you please stand? We're gonna not only stand in the gap for him, we're gonna stand in the gap for all of you or someone that you know who is struggling with any kind of addiction. This might be work, this might be money, this might be sex, this might be porn, this might be food, this might be any kind of addiction. Will you extend your hands? In the mighty name of Jesus, we declare freedom. We declare today as a freedom day. What's your name, sir? Craig Clark. Craig Clark. I pray that as Craig Clark so courageously and boldly came to the front lines, Father God, that it would be a ripple effect to all of us in this room. I pray that freedom in one hand and fire in the other would be his and not only his, but would ripple out to every single person in this room, Father God. Any area that the enemy is trying to get us with these small little addictions to the big ones, to the people that we know, we break those in the mighty name of Jesus. God, where the enemy is trying to get us to play small because we are turning to the resources around us, Father God, I pray that the need and the addiction is gone and I pray for the mighty name of Jesus to infuse Craig Clark's being. Infuse us with the Holy Spirit. May you be our source. Yes, Today will be the hardest day, which is the day that all of us decide to start. And tomorrow, Father God, when we want to quit, we won't. Why? Because we realize that we are the children of the Most High God and you didn't quit and neither will we. In your name I pray. Amen. 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 Yeah, yes, this is what freedom looks like. Turn to your neighbor and say, this is what freedom looks like. Mm -hmm. I got two more points. I got one minute and two more points. I got 10 minutes. Yeah, I got 10 more minutes. Okay. I'm gonna switch these points up though. I'm gonna go, you can go to point number six, which is your greatest place of need is his greatest place of impact. Your greatest place of need is his greatest place of impact. The reason I'm gonna skip this point is because, you'll see it in a second, you're gonna have to trust me. I'm gonna skip, I'm gonna skip down a couple of verses. I'm gonna skip down a couple of verses and then I'm gonna go back because I think where we're gonna go back is where we need to end. You look down at verse 25. It says, the woman says, this is all so confusing. So, so again, you're gonna have to just trust me for a second. We go through a whole dialogue between Jesus and the woman. And then she says, this is all so confusing. But I do know the anointed one is coming, the true Messiah. And when he comes, he will tell us everything we need to know. <laughs> She's still like, when he comes, I'll go tell them that he's there. He's, Jesus is like, oh my gosh, this is, this is challenging for me to communicate this to you. I don't know how else to say this. <laughs> I am who he said, like for whatever, she's not gonna get it. So Jesus says, you don't have to wait any longer. The anointed one is here speaking with you. I am the one you're looking for. 
<laughs> He's finally like, I am. Three letters, two words. We're going to keep it simple. I am. He says to all of you today, that thing that you're turning to, that thing you're asking it to give you, that thing he's looking at you and he wants you to boldly hear, I am. So when you just realize that whatever it is that you're turning to, fear, worry, doubt, the addiction, the bottle, whatever it is that he's looking at you right in the eyes going, what you're asking of that, that need is relevant. Hear me today, your need makes sense. And all he wants is to be, I am. I am. At that moment, his disciples return and they're stunned to see Jesus speaking to a Samaritan woman, yet none of them dared to ask him. <laughs> All at once, the woman leaves her water jar and runs off to her village and tells everyone, come and meet a man at the well who told me everything I ever, I've ever done. He could be the one we've been waiting for. This is why our testimony is so incredible. She invites people into two most important pieces of us as believers is our vulnerability and our testimony. I'm sitting on a podcast months ago with my husband and we're talking about something not related to vulnerability, but we start using this word. And so I finally am like, because it's a, it's a real trendy word. People are like, I'm vulnerable. I post on social media and tell them all my problems. Sorry, that is not vulnerability. Don't do that. <laughs> That is still hiding behind a machine, asking for help in a weird way. So I said to Travis, what is vulnerability? So they say you're never supposed to be quiet on a podcast longer than three seconds because it's awkward. Was that awkward? Did anyone feel like that was awkward for a second? Have you ever gotten in an elevator and more than five seconds of not talking, you're uncomfortable? Most of us don't like the silence. So he's comfortable with the silence on a podcast. So I'm sitting there like, oh, make something up. Like, I don't say something. I go, ah. Like in my head, I'm like, okay, we're at 14 minutes, 20, cut out five awkward seconds. Like in my head, I'm trying to like do the things. And he looks at me and he says, vulnerability is the, the opportunity to invite someone into your process wherever you're at. I was like, did Brene Brown say that? He says, he says I said that. I was like, you need to write that down. Vulnerability is the ability to let someone into your process right where you're at. Testimony is then when you get two and a half days of sobriety under your belt. <laughs> Today, two and a half years, 20 years later, is when you go and you tell everybody about the goodness of God. Both moments are important. That moment that he goes and he tells some of his close inner circle people, I'm getting sober today. I'm gonna invite you on this process. I'm gonna need your help is the most incredible opportunity to invite believers and non-believers into your process. Now be careful that you don't listen to what they're going to always say. How many of you know that that is very, you have to be very careful of who you let speak into that moment. Right, because we don't want that to rob the testimony that's coming down the path. But when, we, when she comes and she's like, hey town, this is a woman who remember just a couple minutes ago, she still has five men in the town. Like they know her as a sinner. 
And so she just left two and a half minutes ago to go tell about this moment with Jesus that he gives her living water and sets her free. And everyone's like, who's this woman? But then she's telling them about what happened. She's telling them about the testimony. And what it says is that it says, there's no doubt that this woman was the talk of the town. Having had five marriages, she was well known for what she had done. For her to say these words was her honest confession of her past two minutes ago. And then it says that the miracle here is that the people believed her and went to see for themselves. Why? Because that is how this works. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. If he can do it for you, he can do it for me. If he can do it for the Samaritan, he can do it for me. And so it tells us that ultimately that our greatest place of pain is his greatest place of impact if we will invite him into our journey of vulnerability and then if we will go and if we will tell the world about the goodness of God. That is what the world is waiting for is people like us who meet Jesus at the well every minute of every day. Do you hear me? Every minute of every day. And then we go and we tell the world of the goodness of God. People are like, well, but he hasn't answered that prayer yet. Yeah, but no, Julie, your business is falling apart. You don't know my God. No, Julie, you're two and a half days of being sober. Well, where are you going to be in a year? Yeah, you watch. You watch my God work. You watch my God work. Yeah, but what happens if you fall? You find yourself at the well. The well. Then we're supposed to go and we are supposed to tell everyone. Why? Because it's in our telling everybody about the goodness of God that they get the, that they catch the fire, that they catch the freedom. You go, but yeah, how do I do that? Well, here goes back to point number five. And this is where I'm actually going to lean you in for some ministry time. Is that you have to learn how to take your heart to him. You have to learn how to take your need to him. This is the most vulnerable part of the whole process is acknowledging that you have a need and then learning to take that need to him. This is where I'll invite the worship team to come up if they're still around or if they've left. I would love for them to come up. Your dependency highlights your need. And your need is an invitation to get closer to him. What if, what I'm proposing today is, what if your need is an invitation to get closer to him, not further away? What does that mean? It means that proximity to the Lord matters. Proximity, do you notice that again? If you envision her, she's getting closer and closer and closer. Why? Because she's getting closer and closer and closer to the well. And so what this looks like is that in order to do this, we have to realize that proximity to him is going to matter. When? All day, every day. It's going to matter all day, every day. David talks a ton about this. I love the Psalms because David's crazy. How many of you know, like David's like, he's good, then he's not good. He's good, then he's not good. Like he is on a roller coaster of emotions. But what I love about David is that he knows how to get close to the father. And if you watch him in the Psalms, it says things like this. Psalms 55, I say to myself, if only I could fly away from all of this, if only I could run away to the place of rest and peace, I would run far away where no one could find me and I would escape to a wilderness retreat. 
I would run away from here. I would run to work. I would run to the bottle. I would run away. How many of us have ever found ourselves saying that? How many of us are like, where's the mountains? My soul's calling, I must go. <laughs> and are mountains good? Yes. Until they're not. So here's David saying this, but then look what it says in Psalm 55, verse six. Then it says, he pauses in God's presence. Your pause is so important. You've got to recognize the moment that like David, you're like, get me out of here. I have anxiety. I feel overwhelmed. I feel underwhelmed. I feel, the, I feel it. I feel the depression. I feel the hopelessness. I feel the fear. I feel the building. I feel the building. What David does is he acknowledges it. And then he pauses. He doesn't make a decision in his, be, with the, he doesn't make a, his behavior doesn't reflect his feelings. He acknowledges his feelings. He pauses and then he takes his feelings. He takes his heart to the Lord. Look at what it says in verse 17. Every evening I will explain my need to the Lord and every morning I will move my soul to him. Every waking hour I will worship only him. Every evening I will come to him. Every morning I'm gonna move my soul to him. That's like us acknowledging, I'm gonna take my need to him every morning. That's why I wrote that dream journal. Cause I was like David and I was taking my need to him, but then I would cover it back up the rest of the day. And I didn't ever pause in his presence till I learned what that quiet time was supposed to be, that you actually move your need towards him. And then what does David say? Every waking hour, I will worship only him and he will hear me and he will respond to my cry. He will respond to my need. And I'm here to tell you today that if you will have the courage, the boldness, the audacity to find yourself at the well, no longer pretending that you're thirsty, and that you're hungry, and that the things of this world just don't seem to suffice, join the club. If you're here today, and you are tired, and you've been running hard, and you find yourself asking all the things to give you something that it wasn't designed to give you, you're looking at your kids to tell you that you're valuable. You're looking at your business to tell you that you're successful. You're looking at money to tell you that you're gonna be safe. You're looking at alcohol to tell you that you could maybe hide for just a minute. You're looking at food to be a place of comfort. And today you go, I don't wanna turn to the thing anymore. I want him. Will you join me up front as a day today that you go, today is the day that I will hold the line and I will move my soul to him. I want you to come up and I want you to boldly declare this moment that this is no longer gonna be the place that you just ask for a drink of water, but that this is going to be the place that you encounter him as living water to fill that need so you don't have to go out there and ask the world to give you something it was not designed to give you. What that's gonna do, you guys, is it's gonna set you free to go set the world free. It's gonna set you free to go be the best mom and the best dad because there's no false responsibility. It's gonna allow you to go build that business in freedom because now you don't need the business to tell you that you're successful. You know who you are. So it's a byproduct of your identity. That's what this moment means is that it's realigning not with just who he is, but who you are in him.
Your dependency and your need is going to be an invitation to get closer to him. In this final response, Jesus says to the woman, from now on, worshiping the father will not be a matter of the right place, but with a right heart. For God is a spirit and he longs to have sincere worshipers who adore him in the realm of spirit and in truth. Verse 21 said, believe me, dear woman, the time has come when you will worship the Father neither on a mountain or in Jerusalem, but in your heart. In the mighty name of Jesus, I declare to every heart in this room, be whole, be healed, be introduced to the Father who set the earth in motion, who separated the light from the dark. He made every living creature and he made your heart to beat. And I pray for the areas of pain and weakness that you have been hiding in the mighty name of Jesus. I thank you, Father God, that you meet them exactly where they're at in the need that they have and that you do a miracle today and that you not only come to give them water, but you introduce yourself to each and every one of us as living water. Forgive us, Father, of asking anything and anyone to give us something that it was never designed to give us. We repent. Forgive us, Father God. We don't want the resources to be our source. We want you to be our source. So we will lay our need at your feet every morning, and we ask that as we move our souls closer that you begin a healing process within us instantly and gradually, God, that you draw us in and that you set us up to be people who will then be able to go and share the testimony and the goodness of God. But may this not be a one-time act, God, but may our repentance be an opportunity to start rethinking with you so it's a lifestyle. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Set every heart on fire. Fill us to overflowing. In our place of weakness, may we move out of the way so your greatest place of strength can be seen. Not by might, not by power, but by your spirit, says the Lord. In your name I pray.